0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan
1: Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Wednesday, July 7th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. Today I'm joined by the Motley Fools Tippity Top Tech. Titan of 10X treasure troves, Brian Feroldi, to chat about three small cap healthcare companies that could have 10X potential. Brian, I like that title. I think it's my new favorite.
0: Your new favorite? Maybe I'll have to bring it back. You nailed it. Good job.
1: I like the T's. They're way easier to pronounce than the S's and the B's and all the other letters. T's are great.
0: See, you shouldn't have just said that because now I'm going to focus on the S's and the B's every time I'm on with you next. (laughs)
1: When I was growing up, I actually had to get lessons, if, if memory serves, in, in articulation, because I had such a hard time. I just slurred all my words together. So the T's are easy, you know, tippity, top, tech, titan.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, now you're gonna make me feel bad if I ever make you trip up. So I guess I will go <laughs> with the T's on you. Well played, Emily. Well played.
1: Well, I'm really excited for today's episode. I, I, like I said before we started taping, I did not come up with any of these companies myself, but when you reached out to me to talk about some of them, they, they did. The names are familiar. So I, I've looked at some of these before and it was fun to get to know them a little bit better. And even more fun because I think the largest market cap that we have today of the businesses we're talking about is around $5 billion. So I'm willing to take a bet that a lot of our listeners haven't heard of these companies either, which is, in my opinion, always fun.
0: I absolutely love looking for companies that are just like the three that we're going to talk about. They're in healthcare. They're doing something that is differentiated or even brand new uh, in the marketplace. And their market caps, as you said, are 5 billion or less. To me, that is an ideal combination for potentially finding a company that can deliver 10X returns. Because again, they do something that's really unique. And if they can continue to be unique and grow and grow and grow, the market caps today are small enough that I could see those returns being realized.
1: Let's talk about that for a minute. I know it's a little bit of a derailment, but I see the misunderstanding so often in new investors especially about 10X. And When we talk about 10X potential, that's the size of the business itself, not necessarily the stock price. So When you think about these businesses, for everybody listening, if you type in the tickers right into Google and you're looking at the price of the company and you're thinking, oh, well, this can't have 10X returns because the share price is too high that's the wrong way to think about these opportunities so the reason i brought up market cap was because market cap is typically the upper limit for the size of businesses right it's how big is the business itself in terms of its market share versus how big is the market and some businesses cough amazon apple have huge huge markets other ones much smaller so when we go through these businesses today i think uh, i will probably put a lot of emphasis and context on The market opportunity, what what a lot of businesses call the TAM, the total addressable market in context to how large the business already is. Because in order to 10x, if you're a 5 billion company, that involves becoming a 50 billion company at a minimum, which is a lofty goal.
0: And I think that you just really, that's a really important point that we need to say again. It is very common, especially for new investors to come in and say, the share price of this company is 200 or whatever. It can't 10X. That would make it a $2,000 stock. That is the wrong metric to focus on. I, if you're going to, if you're looking for companies that can 10X, really train yourself to look at the market cap and ask yourself, could this company be a, if you put a zero on the end of this, this market cap, does that make logical sense? And to your Point when Amazon, when, when, when Apple was a $200 billion company, it still went on to 10x. And that, that just blows my mind that you can be that big and, and then eventually 10x. So, but to your point, it's really in focus, important. Or this is something that I always do. I always focus on what's the market cap of the company? Can it 10x from there? And does that make sense?
1: And for anybody who's listening who loves discussions on market caps, may I just do a quick shout out for David Gardner's Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, where he talks about this a lot, quizzes analysts like myself about the market caps of companies. And um, I inevitably lose every time, but it is always fun to think about. Uh, but okay, derailment aside, let's get into it. Everyone's here for healthcare companies. Brian, what's the first one you got for us? The first
0: company is called Progeny. The ticker symbol there is PGNY. This is the largest, and I would probably argue least risky of the three companies that we're gonna talk about. For those that have never heard of this company before, it's focused on, the mission statement says a lot. Our mission is to make any member's dream of parenthood come true. They are focused on the the infertility market, so couples that are having trouble uh, conceiving. Uh, Progeny has developed uh, is a fertility management platform that offers one on one coaching with uh, with with their members to really maximize the chance that they have a successful pregnancy. So Progeny sells its services to to employers to offer this benefit to their members, and the numbers really speak for themselves. The company has the clinical data that shows. Shows that if when a progeny member has a much low, much higher chance of becoming pregnant, a much lower chance of having a miscarriage, and a much much lower chance of having uh, twins or triplets, which is a common uh, common thing that can happen. So. By partnering with Progeny, you really maximize the member's chance of having a successful pregnancy.
1: And to be clear, the unique aspect of this business is that they're going to the employers themselves and saying, "Hey, you should offer this as a benefit." And this is a really underserved market. So most insurance plans don't offer this level of coverage, nothing this comprehensive. So when you think about big companies that are competing really hard for specialized talent today. Um you know, clients include Microsoft, Apple, PayPal, just to name a few. These are businesses that are doing their best to retain their employees and offering progeny as a benefit as part of a comprehensive healthcare package can help retain people, right? So when you bring talent on, when they're going through the process of, of expanding their family, um, if they're struggling with issues like infertility, It just makes them want to stay with their employment more. So theoretically, decreasing the cost to the employer from an employee churn. And when you look at the
0: market that progeny is going into, it's not like these things weren't covered by anywhere else, but progeny is just hyper-focused on infertility. And in a lot of other cases, it's really up to the, it, if you have fertility benefits, it's really up to you to, to do everything. You have to research what your benefits are. You have to find out what providers in your area offer them. You have to do the research on, on the drugs. There's no one that's really coordinating that process for you. And the coordination is a huge, huge deal. So Progeny really offers personalized service that eliminates a lot of the barriers uh, for for people. And because of that, their members really seem to love them.
1: And a survey that Progeny actually throws out, and I, I believe it was their most recent 10K, could be their S1. Either way, they throw out a survey from the Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey, which found that 90% of people who needed fertility treatment would actually leave their employer if it meant better coverage. And I know you want to talk a little bit about the opportunity because a lot of people may be thinking to themselves, well, this doesn't affect a lot of people. So when we talk about 90% of people who struggle with infertility leaving, how big of a market is that, really? Well, they also go to the state that one in eight people have this problem, have some sort of issues with fertility. So, way bigger than people may be giving it credit for.
0: Yeah, it's a really, it's a really big, big market, and, and infertility is it affects a a lot, a, a lot of couples. Uh, to your point, and the company currently pegs that its its current market opportunity, its TAM, is about seven billion. And they see that number growing uh, significantly over the next five years to about $15 uh, billion. And there's a number of reasons why that's in place. But if you're thinking niche market opportunity, I encourage you to think again.
1: So all of this is great, but since we're investors and we have a medley of opinions, what stands out to you as concerning here? Because at face value, you think this is a good company doing a good thing and expanding market opportunity where do you have hold-ups if any?
0: Well, let's talk about uh, the good first. So Progeny has uh, has been a great performing stock uh, since it's come, come public. And I think at this point of the game, they've actually built themselves a pretty pretty decent uh, moat. Uh, they have the largest network of fertility spec specialists in the country that uh, they cover. Uh, 46 of the largest, 50 largest fertility practices in the, in the country, for example, are on their network. They have a trained group of staff that is experts at helping, helping their members. They have the clinical data behind them to show Show this And one thing that impressed me about this business is while they started with the, uh, the one-on-one coaching aspect of it, a few years ago, they launched a brand new business line called uh, Progeny RX, which incorporates the pharmacy uh, benefit uh, into them. And they went out to all of their own clients and offered this as a, as a service. And that's really taking off. I really like that the company has basically developed a whole new business line from scratch that the market is clearly uh, appreciating. That shows me that this company has some optionality to it. Another thing is uh, the management team here is really invested in this company, and the the current CEO uh, David Schlanger he's the former CEO of WebMD. That's a that's a that's a pretty successful company, and if you look at this company's growth rates, they've been extremely uh, impressive. In fact. If you were to just ask me at the beginning of 2020, hey, what's what's project going to do in, in a COVID world? I would have said, oh, this seems, like a, this seems like a nice-to-have benefit, right? Not a needs-to-have benefit. So I'm sure their growth is going to hit a wall. They actually accelerated their revenue growth uh, in, in 2020. So that kind of blew me away and just showed me that this product isn't a nice-to-have. It is becoming a, a needs-to-have. Another thing that is really interesting, and I think it makes this the lowest risk, this company's profitable. It's already profitable, even though it's growing its top line at a basically 50% uh, rate. So when you add all that together, there's a lot to like about this business.
1: I also I'll add, not that you didn't mention it, I just love the optionality they have in their platform. And and Progeny RX, I think is a really good example of that. It's the fastest growing part of their business. I think it grew 54% in the most recent quarter, and it represents a quarter of the company's total revenue. And that was originally kind of like this ancillary line for them. I also love that. I love anytime a business is profitable and free cash flow positive, that to me says, Hey, we can continue to reinvest in our business. In the case of Pro- Progeny. Progeny, it's probably just reinvesting into acquiring more employers into their platform, building out that sales force to be even larger to make good on that TAM. I think if you look at just the numbers, um, in the United States, there's at least 8,000 employers with 1,000 or more employees, which means Progeny only covers around 4% of the 69 million employees of these companies. So Theoretically, there's a lot of room for them to continue to grow just within the niche they operate today.
0: That's that's the theory, and this is also isn't just a U.S. problem, right? They haven't yet gone uh, international, but can this concept transfer overseas? That's not a given, but if if they could make it uh, make it work, uh, that could dramatically increase their market size. But even just within the U.S., I think there's plenty of room to grow. But you did ask, what is the the knock against this company? Um, there is the the potential that they've already captured the low hanging fruit of the market, and that all their early growth has come from the likes of Microsoft, Apple, PayPal, really big companies with huge budgets that really want to offer this kind of service to attract and retain the best uh, employees. Um, will that trickle down as you go smaller um, into, to smaller companies? That kind of remains to be seen at this point. Another thing that I didn't like about this company when I researched it was that. The gross margin here is pretty low. Uh, The gross margin is about 21%. That does not give this company a lot of room when it makes a new sale to kind of reinvest back into the core mizes. I think that's just the nature of the design of the business. And it also hasn't prevented them from becoming profitable. But I personally like to invest in companies with high gross margins. And then finally, is there a chance that traditional insurers could kind of wake up and offer a service that's similar to this? I don't know how realistic that is, given how specialized um, this this market has become. And it's not like if you partner with Progeny that you don't go with a, a different insurer. This is kind of like an add-on to it. But it is possible that competition could arise eventually. But uh, all in all, uh, I think there's a lot to like about this business.
1: I also think there's a lot to like, and I think if I was looking at the three and I. I was intrigued and interested in, in buying the lowest risk one. As you mentioned at the beginning, I think Progeny, out of the three we're going to talk about, is probably the least risky because of, of how scaled the platform already has become. That being said, clearly, not a, not a riskless company, right? We're, we're talking about a company that's that's disrupting an aspect of health insurance here, which is challenging within itself. My biggest concern is exactly like you mentioned. They only have around, I think, 180 employers on board right now. Uh, it's going to be hard for them to convince employers to pay more money to offer this service if employers feel like they don't need to in order to retain the top talent, which won't be every company, right? It won't be that entire addressable market, those 8,000 employers. That being said, strong business, I definitely like it. Uh, Let's move on to one that is, actually, out of the three that we we researched and talked about today, Brian, this is the one that made me the most upset on a personal level, really just a sad industry to dig into, but also really made me aware of what important work this company is doing, and that's Pulmonox.
0: Pulmonox, or I don't know if it's pulmonix. I've never heard it pronounced, oh. just as pronounced. So so we'll go with pulmonox and pulmonix. One of those two is probably right. Uh, the ticker symbol here is lung. L-U-N-G so great job marketing team on getting that ticker symbol and this is a 1.6 billion dollar medical device company that is fairly new to the the public markets so this is a medical device maker that's focused on emphysema and emphysema is a really severe form of chronic obstruction pulmonary disease aka COPD COPD is a chronic disease that affects millions upon millions of people uh, around the world and about 25% of them uh, COPD is a progressive disease and 25% of them end up developing uh, emphysema. Emphysema is just, just sounds horrible. You have all kinds of problems uh, uh, breathing and it's really hard to do anything in life if you can't breathe properly.
1: Yeah, I I mentioned at the offset that this was the one that upset me the most. And I think it was just learning about how debilitating emphysema can be. In fact, uh, pulmonox or pulmonics cites a lot of studies um, that say it could be even worse than, than people who are suffering through lung cancer. And the issue is a lot of people don't Go to the doctor, don't realize this is an issue until they can't do stuff like walk up the stairs to get to their bed on the second floor. And they're being forced to change their lifestyle, right? Like they can't leave their apartments, they can't get to their bedrooms, um, can't get to the bathroom. Really, really debilitating stuff. And, uh, this business, Pulmonics, I'm very uncomfortable with my pronunciation now, Brian. <laughs> Pulmonox, Pulmonics, whatever it is. Um, this business really is focused on improving quality of life for these progressive patients. Um, they are narrowly focused on those most severe cases. So these are for people for whom medical management of their emphysema has not relieved their symptoms and they don't want or are ineligible for these really invasive surgeries, which are the only alternative.
0: Yeah, the traditional way that you treat um, emphysema is through is through an, an inhaler, and there's lots of drugs out in the market that, that just do that. But to, to your point, one of the problems with emphysema, uh, which surprised me to learn this, is that um, when you have a really bad case, part of your lungs are actually essentially dead; they're they're not working at all. And what can happen is, as you breathe in, uh, air can get into some of the sacs in your lungs that are dead and then it gets trapped there. So because of that, it's almost like a part of your lung that is not functioning, becomes more and more inflated over time. And that makes it harder and harder for the rest of your lungs, which are working to take in and and move oxygen. It's like fighting against a current. What Palmonix did that was uh, that was intriguing is they created this innovative medical device called the Zephyr Endobrachial Valve, and that is inserted into the patient's lung uh, minimally invasively, and it's a one-way air valve. So it goes into the damaged damaged part of the lung, and it's a valve that lets air escape, but it does not let air back. In to the valve, so to the damage valve. So, what happens over time is the air that's in there that's stale that should not be in there slowly starts to escape, and that makes more room in the lungs for the rest of the lungs that are healthy to expand so that you can make them get the most use out of the healthy parts of your lungs.
1: And, and that. Endopronchial valve, the Zypher system. It's already been used in treatment for over 200,000 patients globally. So it has a lot of research, a lot of studies that back it up. Um, of course, the concern being is. As, as you may tell from the market cap when we talk about opportunity, right? The market cap of this company is this is a very, very small business. I think they have just over $33 million in total revenue over the past 12 months. So despite having a lot of evidence that their solution works, um, they have to spend a lot of time convincing doctors and patients and, and treatment centers to recommend this valve and to monetize this valve. So certainly a great product. It's been slow to the upstart, at least over the past year.
0: Yeah, that's an important point. Just given where this company is in the commercialization product, while this they have had over twenty thousand patients in total that have used this since the technology was created in uh, in two thousand seven, uh, I, I believe. They are fairly new to the commercialization part of the business, and when that happens, it takes a while to get your scale uh, up, up, up and running. Uh, so, to your point, over the last uh, over the last year, the company has generated about thirty three million uh, in total revenue. The, what's interesting for investors here is that it's the gross. market. Margin is already impressive. It's basically over 70%. And if you look over the like, trailing 12 years, it's 65, uh, it's 65%. That's a pretty good number given that uh, limited uh, amount of revenue. Uh, however, if you look, the company is losing money, and that's why I think it's more risky than, than progeny. Its net loss over the past year was about $32 million. Offsetting that was the fact that the company does have 221 million in cash, so it should be able to fund itself for quite a bit of time. But make no mistake, this company is probably going to be losing money for a, a good period of time.
1: And it, it didn't have the best year. You mentioned Progeny actually did well during the pandemic, at least better than what you expected. Uh, Pulmonox was challenged during the pandemic. When you think about this progressive disease, right, emphysema, COPD, um, in order to get this procedure, it requires beds in hospitals, and elective procedures of which this would be considered one, have been essentially turned off. Um, but more importantly, ICU beds are being staffed with these pulmonary specialists that would also focus on COVID patients, which really just meant that Pulmonox was pushed to the back of the line over the past year. Uh, it's been material hurt, materially hurt from the pandemic. Uh, however the business heading into 2021 has actually started to rebound as ICU beds have opened up as people have gone back for elective surgeries. I think it's about, as an overall for the company, about 85% of where it was in 2019. But since this is an international business, it really does depend on each of the locations and localities. Pre-pandemic, France was actually a huge market for them that was doubling year-over-year. That's up 120% versus the 2019 levels, while still being significantly below where management thinks the long-term opportunity is.
0: Yeah, so that's going to be a challenge if you're looking at the trailing financials for this company. They are likely depressed, but I want to highlight a point that you just said. This is already an international business. They've been selling in several European countries and the US for several years. That excites me as an investor because A lot of times uh, medical devices, work in the U.S., but they don't necessarily translate into overseas. The fact that this company has already gotten over that hump really sets it up for a for long term success. And when you think about what, how big this market could actually be, um, while it's only used, while this technology is only used on a small minority of patients with, with COPD, the market for COPD is so huge that they estimate that 500,000 Americans can qualify for this technology. And if you zoom out to the markets that are already in, you can add another. Another 700 thousands uh, to that uh, to that opportunity. Combine that together, that's 12 billion dollars in revenue potential. That's a big way up from 33 million in trailing revenue
1: and they're just getting started in really critical markets china being one but japan also which i believe they have a targeted 2023 launch they've already started hiring there so their business that i think does about 50% north american us 50% international sales right now i would only expect for long term that international sales to continue to be a larger part of the business even if it does revert a little bit over the short term due to to covid normalization in the united states either way I completely agree with your analysis of the market opportunity. Certainly a great opportunity to be working in. And it's hard to be upset about a company that can improve the quality of life for such a degenerative disease.
0: Yeah, two other things that I thought were worth noting about this company, uh, given the unique nature of, of the business, it has a fairly a fairly concentrated uh, number of targets that it's it's going after in the United States. So they've identified essentially 500 hospitals and 800 pulmonologists uh, in the United States that they are looking for to, to sell to. That's good because that means you don't have to hire a massive sales force to go after thousands of doctors to get the uh, technology out there. On the flip side if there's a large percent of those few doctors that are holdouts, that can really hinder your your long-term sales. But I do like that because this company is probably not going to have to spend gobs of money on sales and marketing to really get the message out
1: there. Definitely. And lastly, but certainly not least, a business that I believe we've talked about, or at least you've talked about on Industry Focus in the past. I know a lot of our listeners listening to us tape live today have heard the name of this business. So I'm going to let you lead off on the last company.
0: Okay. Well, we're talking about Nanox or Nanox imaging, ticker symbol NNOX. Dylan and I did a S1 show in this company soon after uh, it came public, and we called it the Tesla of medical imaging. And wow, did we nail that title? Because this was immediately a controversial stock. Uh, the stock went uh, bananas, uh, soon, soon after our episode and went up to like 90 something dollars per share. Along the way, it was hit by not one, but Two short seller reports and it's been all over the map. If you look at where this company is today, it's about a $1.5 billion company, and it is definitely the riskiest of the three stocks we're gonna ever talk about. That's because this company has not yet gotten to the revenue stage. So they are still pending FDA approval for that technology. So know that up front. If you're going to, if you're interested in Nanox, it is hugely risky right now. But the reason that you should be interested in NANOX is because it has developed what could be a breakthrough in medical imaging technology. So currently, two-thirds of humanity does not have access to medical imaging technology. And that's despite the fact that x-rays, which are incredibly useful in diagnosing diseases including cancers, have been around for more than a hundred years. Why is that? The number one reason is cost. X-ray machines are still expensive to, to, um, to get up and running. They take up a big amount of space. And a big reason why is because the core technology that produces the x-ray that has not changed essentially since it was, uh, since it was created. There's a filament inside an x-ray machine that is heated up to over 2000 degrees. And then as a byproduct creates x-rays and it takes a huge amount of machinery to cool down and control that 2000 degrees heat. Conversely, what Nanox has developed, uh, it actually purchased this technology from Sony, which which spun it out into a different company. Uh, Nanox has spent eight years developing a silicon chip that produces the x-rays directly. They consider that a good analogy here is to think about the incandescent light bulb that was developed 100 plus years ago. That basically created heat and light as a byproduct like light was like an accidental part now we have leds and leds are so much more efficient uh, because they just create the light that is essentially the core technology that Nanox is making its chips just make the x-rays it doesn't make the heat and then the x-ray as a byproduct because of that, they believe that they can reduce the cost of X, their x-ray machines by an order of magnitude. Some x-ray machines, some high-end CT scanners, for example, uh, currently cost about $2 million plus another $150,000. No, that's they don't. In, 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 that's, that's, that's ridiculous. That's research it's, it's crazy high. Plus hundreds of thousands of dollars in years in um, software and, and support costs. Nanox thinks that at scale, it's going to be able to make its machines for about $10,000. And because of that, it's estimating that its business model is going to be to give these away and then charge every time a scan is done. So it's changing it from an upfront cost plus maintenance fee to have this for free and then give us recurring payments every time you do a scan. That could be hugely disruptive.
1: I, despite having researched this company to some extent, clearly to talk about it today, I don't think I realized that the legacy equipment costs upwards of $2 million to equip. And it, it does give context to that number that management talks about, with two thirds of the population of the world. Not having meaningful access to this medical imaging technology. And they even go a step further to say the majority of that remaining one third. So even in in developed markets where you may have access, it can still take weeks and months to actually get the scan completed. If you decrease the cost, right? Upfront cost alone, but overall costs on a broader scale and charge per image, it's easy to see how suddenly imaging is this niche thing that you have to be really qualified to get right extreme circumstances, wait weeks or months, maybe you have no access to it all, to something that becomes really accessible, easier and and cheaper.
0: Yeah. And to be clear, not all x-ray technology costs $2 million. That's really the highest yes. of the high-end CT scanners and stuff. You can get basic x-ray technology for much, much cheaper than that, but not as cheap as Nanox is essentially in a, um, saying that it can produce its four. And that's because inside a high-end CT scanner, there's a few hundred thousand dollars of equipment in there that just deals with cooling just deals with dealing with that 2000 degree heat. Again, by contrast, Nanox believes that at scale, it will be able to produce the entire device for $10,000. And because of that order of magnitude change in cost, that's why it says we can give these devices away for free and then charge with the scan. That's following a business strategy that I really have come to respect in the last few years called counter positioning. It's changing the business model uh, of an industry so much so that your competitors would be harmed to switch. So if they can pull this off, I could see it being quite a wide moat for
1: Nanox. Okay, well, you have to drop the other shoe now, right? Because certainly this can't be as great as you've made it out to be.
0: Well, if you believe the two uh, short reports that come out, this is all vaporware. And that's why this has become such a uh, a battleground uh, stock. Uh, Management is out there touting this technology as essentially the next great greatest thing. We're just waiting on FDA approval. They actually say that they have thousands upon thousands of orders that are already placed in countries like Australia, Brazil, Mexico, Italy, South Africa, Taiwan, Spain, uh, Belarus, and in the United States. And they've also signed—they've they, signed a deal with Foxconn, aka the company that Apple uses to make the iPhone and the iPad, to produce these products. That's how they believe that they can get to the scale. So they already have that major partner uh, in place. However, there's been a lot of questions about the technology. Like, is this real? Is this all—is uh, this all a hoax? Um, they, they claim that the founder is basically just nothing more than than a showman, and who knows what the what the ultimate outcome is going to be there because the company has yet to get this technology into customers' hands and yet to get it through the FDA approval process. Hence why this is an exciting product, but wow is it risky right now.
1: Completely understood, and I don't think anybody listening really wants to buy into what could be the next Theranos. So, personally, when I think about Nanox, I think I want to see I want to see it in action. I know they had, I believe it was Investor Day, where they kind of showed off the prototype, showed off the technology. Um, I, I want to see it in action in practice with more hands. Personally, before I'd be comfortable investing. But I can see for the right type of investor, somebody who has a high risk tolerance, a long time horizon, and is okay taking a bet on a business that could be nothing or could be the greatest thing since sliced bread. I can see how that could be attractive.
0: Yeah. And the company believes that its current market opportunity uh, is about 21 billion dollars but I could see that again if this technology is real and they can execute on their on their uh, potential I could believe that that could be dramatically underselling the p- potential because when if they could get the the cost of of CT scans and x-ray down that low the number of opportunities that could open up for for further innovation really dramatically grows from there to say nothing of the fact that there are literally billions of people out there that Could and could that if they learn about this technology, uh, uh, could demand it. So, from today's $1.5 billion market cap, if you told me that yes, this technology is legit, I could easily see it being a 10x return or more.
1: But if it's not legit, again. Look out nothing. below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. always, always important, right? High risk, high return, but the the risk is always still there. So, I you've certainly made me excited about the business. Um, although the fact that they have no revenue again holds me up personally. I, I apologize. I have nothing else to add to the conversation other than my own hesitations. <laughs> That's completely
0: fair. And as I said when the, with the initial show, I am an investor in Nanox. I did take a small position in it as soon as it came public, but I am not going to be adding to my position at all until after this company has FDA approval. I am more than happy to pay a much higher price and buy in at a much higher market cap because at that point, the, the risk opportunity will be reduced significantly. And I'm also happy to buy again once the gross margin turns positive. And that way we can see that the business model is in fact, back to working. There's nothing wrong with saying it as an investor, this company is too risky for me right now, but I'll wait till it becomes less risky over time. That's a perfectly fine strategy.
1: Awesome. Well, Brian, as always, thank you so much for for coming on, providing your thoughts about these businesses. Um, It's always a pleasure.
0: Thank you. And I'm curious, Emily, which of these three stocks sings to you the most? Which of these passes the Emily flippant test or did none of them pass? That would be perfectly fine too.
1: (laughs) You, you ruined my outro, Brian. I was, I was sneaking past that question in the outline, you know, thinking I can, I can get out of this scot free because I, I don't have a great answer for you. If I'm honest, I, I think I'm too hesitant of an investor to buy into a company with no revenue if i'm honest with you um and i think that's just a matter of understanding my my own level of risk tolerance uh, but if i was looking at the two pulmonox and prodigy Prode- progeny, progeny excuse me i do think both of them are attractive investment opportunities, but I really respect the work that Pulmonox is doing. I think they have a great market opportunity, just in the focus on severe emphysema. Um, so that alone, I think, could make me interested and, and probably tip me towards Pulmonox.
0: That's great. And what's great, when I, another thing I absolutely love about these healthcare companies is they're easy to root for, right? They're, they're curing diseases or they're, or they're, they're solving big-time medical uh, problems. So if their technology works out, not only can you do well as an investor, but there's a whole lot of patients out there that'll be happy too.
1: Awesome. Well, Brian, for a real outro this time, thank you so much for coming on and, and putting me under the gun there.
0: Thanks for having me, Emily.
1: Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out to say hi, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet at us at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on!